With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. On today's episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct network of podcasts, the Vancouver Canucks have a dark cloud hanging over them at the moment on and, of course, off the ice. We get into all of that that is surrounding the team at the moment. How many more games? We pose the question, how many more games are you seriously going to watch this season? And our guest this week is none other than Next Misconduct writer Marcus Meyer. Should be a good one. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. He's not a person at all. He's a towel. You're a towel. But in Vancouver, mainly it's all about towel power. Are you ready? Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Before you listen any further, I say this every time. Subscribe to the Next Misconduct Network wherever you get podcasts. Not only do you get this show, Power of the Towel, you get Sip It On a 40 from the ingenious mind of the one and only Kyle Bowen. Now, of course, we mentioned it off the top of the show. There is a dark cloud hanging over at the Vancouver Canucks right now. It's continued all throughout the season. It may have reached breaking point of sorts or an inflection point. This past Saturday when it was announced that Jake Furtanen was going to be granted a leave of absence. He was forced to take a leave of absence following a sexual assault allegation first brought forward by Vancouver is Awesome. I believe the site Glacier Media I believe is a publication or who owns the publication. And and, and first of all, I, I just want to say if anyone's out there saying for sure what's going to happen in the future beyond the season. They're, they're frankly just talk, talking out of their ass. Like, no one knows, I think. No one knows what is going to happen beyond this season with Jake Furtana. I think the only thing we can, we can say is that he is gone the rest of the season. No wonder you call up a guy like Jonah Gadjevich, his natural replacement. On the roster from the AHL, he will be serving his uh, seven-day quarantine when he crosses the border. And it's just it's just a very tough situation, I, I, I believe, for everyone involved. I'm trying to be as, as delicate as possible because it is a delicate situation. And I have nothing but admiration, respect, support for the, the alleged victim who came forward because it's not easy. It's not easy. We can we can joke online about oh, Jake Vertanino. He only scores four goals this season. Not a good hockey player. Never should have signed. What have you. But at the end of the day, a guy like Jake Vertanen, he still has a bunch of money. He is still a high-profile athlete in this city. He is still 
employed by a high-profile organization that has power and connections and influence in this city. It cannot be easy to come forward in that situation. But again, I don't think anyone can say for certain what is going to happen beyond this season with Jake Vertanen. I think the only thing we can say for certain is, of course, we won't be seeing Jake Vertanen the, the rest of the season. He, he's done for the year. And we mentioned it off the top, the, the dark cloud surrounding this organization. It's just been a, a terrible year. And, you know, I mentioned it last night on the SET show. Go check. I'll give him a quick plug. Go check out the uh, most recent uh, episode of the SET podcast. I, uh, I guess it uh, myself along with Don Shijin of The Athletic, but this has got to be one of the toughest years to be a fan of this organization. In recent history, in my memory of, of being the fan, I was not really a fan during the Messiaen years, but this, is, this has just been a brutal year for the organization. And I want to, I want I'm trying to, again, be diplomatic because I think these allegations on Jake Vertanen go beyond, you know, oh, it's, it's a blight on the organization. It's just, a, it's just a terrible, it would have been a terrible story if it hadn't involved anyone with the Vancouver Canucks. This stuff shouldn't happen, but of course, it involves someone playing for the Vancouver Canucks. So we have to do, we do have to talk about it on the show. It is involved in that space. But at the same time, it's just it's just a terrible situation for for the vic for the alleged victim for for everyone involved this stuff shouldn't be happening in the year 2021 again it's just been it's just been a brutal year for the organization and it's the second time in just probably just over a month where we've had a story that's crossed over from the hockey space to a general news story. Obviously, the COVID outbreak where pretty much the entire team got sick, families got sick. That was that was the first time. That was the first instance, of course, where we had a story involving the Vancouver Canucks that crossed over to the news side. We had, you know, spaces and people following the story who maybe wouldn't be involved in the hockey hockey sphere. If not for that story, and now we have a second one here with the, with Jake Vertanen. So two times in, in less than a month, we've had a story again with the Vancouver Canucks that has transcended the hockey hockey space and has has crossed over to just the general news story because this is what it is. It's, it's a general news story, and once again, I don't think anyone out there can say for certain what is going to happen beyond this season. I, I don't want to speculate as well. Again, the only thing we know surrounding the Jake Vertanen situation at the moment, what is going to play out is he will not be with the team for the rest of the season. Anything else is really conjecture and it's just speculation. Of course, Travis Green was asked about the situation uh, Saturday afternoon, I, I would say around one thirty. Uh, prior to the game against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and that I feel like that that was a bush league move by the Vancouver Canucks. They have, should not have put Travis Green in that situation to answer those questions. And again, I, I get it. 
We all know what he, Travis Green was going to say. No comment. We, we refer to the statement. But he should not have been put in that situation in the first place. He is the head coach of the hockey team. His job is to win games. His job is to prepare the lineup that he's given in a way that can maximize performance. That is Travis Green's job. He should not have put, been put in that situation to answer those questions. Even if he was going to give a canned response, he should not have been that one to give that canned response. Travis Green, 11, 10 games away from being technically no longer employed by the Vancouver Canucks. He doesn't have much time to give, and you're going to throw this guy out to the media who are looking for some sort of answer, who are looking for some sort of quote. You're going to throw that guy in who may not be here next season. Why? I get Jim Benning was in Texas for the under-18. Zoom exists. That's how we're doing all these media availabilities for the media. Why not throw him on a Zoom call? Francesco Aquilini, where has he been during this whole thing? He shows up when the team wins and he tweets. But when a very serious allegation like this surrounding the hockey team he owns that could jeopardize the brand, where is he? Where is he in all of this? And to briefly tie it back up to the management structure again, this is why, again, it was, it was needed for a long time a president of this hockey team Someone who is well-spoken, who can address these issues to the media. Jim Pennick has communication issues the best of times with the media when he's talking just strictly hockey. Think back to that, I guess, late February. Or, I don't remember. This whole season's been kind of just a blur at this point, but that press conference he did where he said, we live day-to-day and, and all that stuff. He has communication issues. In the best of times. Do we really want Jim Benning out there again saying, oh, you know, Jake said it was consensual and stuff. No, you don't want him out there making it worse. I know earlier I said, why isn't Jim Benning out there? Well, he's one of the the few frontward-facing management people that speaks to the media. Again, if you had a president of hockey operations, if you had some sort of president, someone, as has been mentioned many times, a buffer between ownership and management, like Trevor Linden used to be, maybe you send him out. But to send Travis Green out there when he doesn't have that much time left for the Vancouver Canucks, if you're a gambling man like I am, I wouldn't put too much money or I wouldn't really bet at all on the Vancouver Canucks retaining Travis Green at this point. Why are you sending him out there? Why are you sending this man out to the Wolves? Why does he have to answer for this incident? It should be someone else in management, someone whose pay grade reflects that. Okay, let's briefly talk about this last game against the Toronto Maple Leafs since we last recorded. The good old just win days. Just win, baby. The just win baby days are over. The Canucks very clearly ran out of gas after the first period against the Leafs. And I know Travis Green again, and the players don't want to use COVID as an excuse, but it's clear that this team 
you know, they may have a bit of energy to, to play well and hang with, you know, I'm a, I'm a Leaf hater. I hate Toronto sports teams in general. The Leafs are a good team. And you may have, a, for the Canucks, you may have the energy to hang with them for a first period. But after that, you just, you, you, run, you run out of gas. You run out of gas. And I think it's going to be like that for the next 11 games. We're recording this, of course, Monday, just before the uh, the Oilers play the Canucks. And, and McDavid and Dreisaitl versus that bottom six. That's, that is going to be interesting for everyone involved. You know, Thomas Drance uh, tweeted out the bottom six lines. VC, Boyd, McEwen, Highmore, Grayervac and Howerluck as a bottom six. McDavid and Dreisaitl are, are going to feast on that tonight. I get that, you know, the Canucks are at home. They may be able to play a uh, a hard matchup against them, maybe limit limit the time they spend against them. But, man, I, you know, it just, it just cements to me that the Vancouver Canucks were very much playing on adrenaline those first two games against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And those were great wins. I think, you know, when we talk about highlights after this season, and they're not gonna be there's not gonna be many. I think that win against the Toronto Maple Leafs first game back, winning in overtime, the biggest home underdog to win in recent NHL history. Since I guess people have been tr- keeping track of the Vegas lines, sports gambling money line odds to win. That will be a highlight for sure. But since then, the Vancouver Canucks have won two games. And they have three wins now. They got 11 games to go. It's uh it's not going to be it's not going to be pretty for the Vancouver Canucks. Anyways, as we mentioned off the top of this show, I guess this week is none other than next misconduct writer Marcus Meyer. Just a minute. Don't hang up. Yellow. You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. Okay, so we now welcome on the Power of the Towel podcast, part of the Next Misconduct network of podcasts. We have a Next Misconduct writer on today. It's been a while, so I decided, you know what? Let's get someone from, you know, home base. Let's get someone from, you know, the home team, so to say. It is Marcus Meyer. Marcus, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. It, it's it's my pleasure, and we're recording this so just so everyone knows. Right at the start of the second intermission between the uh, Canucks and Oilers tonight, and I, I, I've got a theory, Marcus, and I think it's it's played out over these last two games, and I'm gonna I want to see how this plays out over the last ten games. So I got a theory that the Canucks for the rest of the season are gonna look okay in the first period. They're gonna you know keep it close, but then once the second and third period rolls around. We're going to start to see the effects of a team that really is, in my opinion, running on fumes. What do you think? That sounds about right. I mean, like, think about it, right? They have all these guys still recovering from COVID. And then, you know, you got a mix of old veterans who are probably, you know, feeling the wear and tear as it is. Then a bunch of young guys who uh, who aren't necessarily totally acclimatized to the NHL yet. And, you know, guys like Hoglander who haven't played the full season before. So just a confluence of things. I, I think that sounds about right. I think that sounds about right. 
Yeah, and you know what? They had a the Oilers had a couple of nice passing plays in the second pair. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, man, that is a team that's getting ready for the playoffs in the Oilers. And the Canucks are a team that's getting ready for the season to end. That's really what yeah, it no kind of was kind yeah. of looked like. Yeah. And you know yeah. what? Like, fair enough. You know, it, the, this team's gone through a lot, but and they haven't looked like they've quit in this game yet. Again, we're recording this right after the second period. They haven't looked like they quit on this game just yet. It just looks like this is like the Oilers have like another gear in them. And I know that's kind of just weak. It sounds like weak analysis, but you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, like that, that really what it, what it seems like out there is, you know, again, they looked okay in the first period. And then once the second period rolled, once the second period came, uh, rolled around, it didn't look too good for the most part, at least JT Miller scored a nice goal though. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. I really don't think it's a matter of heart with this team. I think it's just, I mean, they're just, they're not that good, right? Like they just don't yeah. have that many guys there anymore. Like, I mean, look at their bottom six. It's just a bunch of, like, it's, it's basically AHL team at this point. Right. So, and I mean, the Oilers obviously they're kind of jockeying for playoff position there. They're getting ready for, I think what they hope will be a long run anyway. So, I mean, the incentives couldn't really be um, any different at that point. And I mean, like you said, they've gone through a lot. It's hard to really rag on the on ice product too much at this point in the year when there's not a lot to play for. And, I mean, obviously, no one's like 100%, right? Honor McDavid. I, I saw a stat on, on Twitter, courtesy of uh, Vanessa Jang, former guest of the show. Uh, Connor McDavid has scored 23 more times the amount of points as the Canucks bottom six has this season. 23 <laughs> more times. 23. That's, that's an, it's an absurd number when you think about insane. it, right? Like one guy can score 23 times oh six players. But that's really is the state of the Vancouver Canucks right now, especially that bottom six. And I I remember just, uh, I was recently on uh, Sports 650 on uh, Saturday, uh, shout out to uh, to Jamie Dodd for having me back on. And he asked me like, which of the bottom six would you, would you want to keep around or which one of the bottom six? And it was just like, I guess Jace Howard luck. Like it's just, but it's, it was a hard question. Not because they're all like really good. You can't lose any of these guys. It's more just like all these guys are just meh. And yes, like, who do you choose to, to go forward in the bottom six? I don't yeah. know. If I happen to choose someone, I guess it's Howard Luck. He's a bit younger. He's shown, you know, flashes of, of, of yeah, yeah wheels, kind of good on the forecheck. Kind of just a, a younger, seems like almost quicker version of Matthew Highmore, if that makes yeah. sense. But they're all kind of they're all kind of the same. There's that meme going around of the Spider-Man meme, and it's all six, seven <laughs> of them just pointing at each other. They're all yeah, the same player, perfect. it seems like. Yeah, no kidding. I saw... I think it was j Patty put out this stat. It was like, because obviously we're all talking about Nikita Trampkin this morning. So it's like mm-hmm. last, the roster of Nikita Trampkin's last game. So all these guys, right? It's Jason Magna, it's Michael Chaput, it's Drew Shore, like all these random guys, right? It's the, it's the exact same thing now, right? Like there's no one of real, I don't think you look at that bottom six tonight and think like any of those guys are everyday players, right? Like Jimmy VC, like Tyler Grayback, like none of these guys are, in an everyday lineup on a cup contender, right? They're just, they're just guys. So. Yeah. And you know what? I was out hand up. We have a saying on this network, Marcus, as you know, honest people, honest podcast. I was like, you know, somewhat, I was somewhat okay with Jimmy VC at the beginning. I was just yeah. like, man, it's good to have, you know, cheap, you know, mm-hmm. it's not good. He's not great, but yeah. he's competent, like competent depth on his team. And then after a while you realize Jimmy VC doesn't do anything. He's really, he doesn't do anything. Well, he's what yeah. Bill, he's what Bill Belichick would call a Jag. Just another guy, bang average. That's, that's Jimmy yeah. VC. It's like that. You ever watch Office Space? It's like that scene where they all like get together and they're all like, 
and the two managers are talking, trying to interview the employees. Like, so what exactly do you do here? That would be, that would <laughs> be exactly probably, right. that would probably be management's or whoever the next, if there is a next manager, that's probably their thing to Jimmy Vesey. Like, what exactly do you do for this team? What exactly do yeah. you contribute? That's exactly right. He doesn't do like, he's not a great skater. He's not really a good, you know, defensive player. He doesn't really do anything out there. I think what made, but it's hard to be mad at a, at a pickup like that, right? Cause like he costs mm-hmm. like less than a million dollars. Yeah. Right? He's, and he's that's gone. what I think I was enamored with at the beginning was like, totally. we've been so used to like expensive bottom six players. It was just nice to have a, a yeah. cheap bottom six guy. That's exactly. Sure, he doesn't do he anything. Totally, he didn't throw him a, a four by four. So we're all like, wow, yeah. this, is, this is pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what, we'll, uh, we'll update everyone here as the, as the game goes on, uh, what happened? It'll be a nice little. You'll listen to this Tuesday morning, and you'll be like, "Oh, I'm." You'll we'll, you'll uh, you'll have a nice reminder of what's going on uh, during from what happened last night, if you want to remember it uh, during this podcast. Um, let's talk about, I guess, you know, the bigger picture because that is where we're at with the Vancouver Canucks. It seems like this season uh, after this game is going to be ten games left, and I said it last night when I was uh, guesting on the SET show. Said earlier in this podcast. There seems to be just just a black cloud hanging over this franchise right now. And I'm 27 years old. I've been following this team, been a fan of this team since I was about seven or eight. The 2002 playoffs is my, really my very first Vancouver Canucks memory. Dan Cluche laying that goal from Nick Nixon. That's like my first very vivid Vancouver Canucks memory. And it shaped me a lot in that aspect, if you think about it. But it, this, this is, has to be, this has to be, in my experience, the just the darkest time, just the almost the worst time to be a Vancouver Canucks fan. I can remember again, I was like four or five in the, in the Keenan Messier area. I don't really have any memories of that. I'm sure older fans are, are yelling, you know, at their, you know, at their screen, at their phone right yeah, now saying, Oh, the Keenan Messier. Yeah. That's what a lot of people say, but you know what? Again, I'm 27. I don't really have many vivid memories of that. Just right now with everything that's going not, not only of course, what's going on on the ice, a team, just took a massive, massive step back relative to expectations from the bubble last year. And of course, everything that's going on off the ice with this team, it seems like there's just a dark cloud over this franchise and something needs to change. Something needs to change with this franchise. And I don't see when that change or where that change is going to come from. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm too young to remember the, the Keenan Messier years, but I mean, obviously there's been a lot of people saying, uh, like that's what a lot of people have drawn is like the last dark era, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's ugly, right? Like there's not a lot of, I mean, everything from, you know, the COVID outbreak on this team to, you know, Pedersen's been out the whole year, um, you know, the high expectations coming into it. Um, you know, everyone was so, everyone was on such a high after the the bubble playoffs last year and then to come in and it's like basically from the very beginning, it's just been a total, you know, dumpster fire of a year, um, on and off the ice. And it's just, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to watch. And then obviously, you know, it's, um, the stuff with Vertanen and the, uh, the sexual assault allegations. Um, obviously that's another, that's another feel done into itself, right? That's that far transcends whatever happens within the organization in terms of hockey and all that. But, um, again, that's just another, it's just another, you know, dark, again, dark cloud around this team, right? It's just, not a lot of positive vibes coming out of uh, coming out of the Canucks these days. And I don't know what it would take to change it. Cause um, I mean, it obviously all, all starts, 
it all comes down to ownership, right? And I don't, I don't get the sense that they're, uh, they're willing to make these, these changes, right? So yeah, and whether that's pan- COVID or whether that's, that's ideological on their part, I don't, I don't know. It's probably a bit of both. Um, but yeah, until, until Francesco decides it's time for a change, I don't, I don't see it happening. Yeah. And the whole Vertanen situation, you know, we can, we'll briefly get into it, get into it now. Uh, Again, it's just, I I just feel it's a second time in just over a month that, you know, we've had a story surrounding this team that's kind of transcended the the traditional hockey sphere, as Mm -hmm. I like to call it, right? Like you had a lot of places covering the Vancouver Canucks COVID outbreak that wouldn't Mm -hmm. really necessarily been covering hockey. And you got the same thing with the Vertanen situation. I've, I've, you know, we, anyone listening to the show has heard me talk about it briefly before we started this interview. I try to be very careful with these type of things in, in terms of what I say. I just want to say like one thing, uh, anyone that out there that's saying that they know what's going to happen to Vertanen after this season is frankly just talking out of their ass. Like yeah. no one knows what's going to happen with Jake Vertanen beyond this season. I think the only thing we can say is obviously he's taken a leave. The, the team has, has pretty much forced him to take a leave of absence. He's not going to be back for the rest of the season. Why else would you call up a guy like, uh, Jonah Gadjevich, right? His natural replacement in the lineup if he's not going to be out for an extended period of time. And man, like we can joke about we can joke about Jake for ten and say, oh, he's a scrub hockey player. He only has four goals this year. He's way overpaid. But it still takes a lot of courage for someone like her to come out and and totally. you know and, and admit you know these things that you know let's but may or may not happen. But they, it still takes courage to come out and say these things because, Hey, Jake Rattan is still, you know, a high profile athlete in this city. He still got, he still has a lot of money to defend himself. He still works for organization. The Vancouver Canucks that again, it's a high profile organization that has the resources to, you know, fight back against these things. It, it, it takes a lot of courage for someone in her situation to come up and, and, you know, discuss what happened in her, in her own experience. Right. So Jake Rattan Again, he, he's done for the rest of the season. I, I, I don't want to speak into what's going to happen after this season. And I don't even want to guess at this point. I think we just need to see how this plays out for, uh, for better or for worse. Yeah. It's so sensitive, right? Like what the most, imp- I think the, like, obviously the most important thing is that, um, that this woman is heard and that her concerns Absolutely. Are, and her story um, is taken seriously. Like you said, that takes a lot of courage. That's not something that just, you know, that's not something to be taken lightly, of course. Right. So mm-hmm. I think what's most important is that just, we, we hear the story and, you know, we believe her and we take her at her word and, and we let this go through its process. Right. And I see a lot of people trying to cram their, their takes on Jake into this conversation. About, mm-hmm. Well, know, that's like, just yeah. the era we yeah. live in, right? Like everyone needs to have a hot take about the situation. Right. Yeah. Or people will be like, Oh, well, finally we get Jake off the books. Right. And it's like, yeah, well, this isn't really the time for, or joking around like whatever you like yeah i don't i don't really like jake either and i don't think many of us do these days but i mean this <laughs> this isn't really a hockey conversation yeah right? so it, again it's a like story people. that transcends hockey in general Absolutely. we've had the COVID outbreak yeah. where you had like players real people let's be honest let's be real and their families getting sick totally and now you have another situation with jake rattan again transcends the hockey space mm-hmm. and you know, there's going to be ramifications for this from the for the connects and for pretend for the foreseeable future right totally. Totally. Yeah. And those are conversations that can definitely be had um, when we're further along in this process. But I just think it's important to not let whatever our opinions of Jake may be positive or negative. Um, I think it's important to keep that separate from, from this far more serious 
conversation around these allegations and the absolutely yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah, you hit the nail on the head very well said uh you know, one thing i didn't like about the whole situation was travis green having to come out and de- defend the defend the organization I, and i understand jim benning is you know in texas at the time i think he's still in texas now watching the u18 championships and i under, you, you can do a zoom call with jim benning yeah. I, I i i battle back on fourth in this because again you can do a, a zoom call with jim benning that's how all these media availabilities have been done zoom calls with jim benning yeah but at the same time do i really want jim benning talking about such a sensitive serious topic mm-hmm. and addressing a, a media you know a media group on these zoom calls so that's mm-hmm. let's be honest let's be real is looking for a quote they want they want something you know to, to put in these in these articles and look jim benning has communication problems at the best of times when he's talking just about hockey. Think about that conference he did, man, like, what was it late February, early, all these, all these like games kind of all these weeks kind of yeah. blur together at this point. But you know, I've talked about the conference where he said, yeah, the, we cl- the classic press conference slash interview with Rintoul thereafter. Yeah. Yeah. That whole, that whole sequence, like just, uh, uh, he's not the best communicator at the best yeah. of times. Right. When he's That's talking right. about just strictly hockey. And it goes to show that, you need uh, some sort of president, some sort of buffer, like when Lyndon was between, you know, ownership and ma- and management or someone who's good yeah. at, you know, a frontward facing person who's good at communicating with media for these types of situations. Now, obviously, you do- no one wanted this situation to happen in the first place. You don't want to be able, you don't want any organization wants to be put in the situation they've been put in by a player. But at the yeah. same time, you need, it goes to show why they needed a president for so yeah. long. Right. Yeah, exactly. I like it feels so unfair to, to, to green, to put him out there. Right? Like what does the head coach have to do with, with this? And for of, a guy who, after this, after, you know, a couple of weeks, doesn't even have he's a done. He's yeah, done. Exactly. It all comes down again to ownership, right? Like this is a, this is a big deal that transcends your, your hockey operations department. So like, where's, where's Francesco? Like where he's the, he's the head of this organization. This is a big deal around one of his players. Um, and he's just sitting on the sidelines, right? So it's just, it seems like cowardice to me. And I don't, and I don't understand why he continues to, to put this on green or even frankly, even to put, you know, put this stuff on, on Benning and, and really just, it seems like he's deflecting blame and attention away from himself, just like he's, uh, seems to have done all year. So, well, I've got the, uh, I've got the quote, speaking of culture from uh, yeah. Kevin BX on Halford and Bruff this morning. Yeah, yeah, I heard about this. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if you've been able to hear the interview, but here's a quote. I was there in the golden years when they were respected. This is when asked about the perception of the Canucks. Right. I was there in the golden years when they were respected on and off the ice. The good old days. I don't know what goes on there sometimes these days, but I try to remember the good times. <laughs> and again, like it's just, this is yeah. Kevin Bieksa. This is a guy who is, I would say, a prominent alumni of the Vancouver Canucks, yeah. given his position with totally. Hockey Night in Canada as an analyst. He's on he's on TV in front of the entire hockey now. world, hockey world, not just yeah. Canada, the hockey world, every Sunday and when oh, Saturday, sorry. And when he's saying stuff like that, again, it just, it just goes to show how far this organization has fallen off in some aspects. And yeah. it's 2011 right now. We are approaching. You know the 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 ten year anniversary yeah. of the Stanley Cup Finals in 2011, and when I read a quote like that, it just goes to show, like man, like could you imagine? I can't imagine 17 year old Nick being told 10 years ago that the Vancouver Canucks would be 
in this state yeah. 10 years later, right? Like it's telling maybe, isn't it? yeah. it's, it's maybe just me being naive back in the day, but you know, at the time the Canucks were set up to be a, you know, long-term sustainable kind of contending team in the sense yeah. that sure they weren't going to win presidents trophies every year, but they could have been, you know, that Washington type who make the playoffs every year. And eventually you, you crack through and everything breaks your way and you win the cup. That yeah. seems to be like the model they were going for. Totally. And then, you know, we don't have to go through a whole oral history of the Vancouver Canucks since then, but, you know, safe to say the, uh, the results speak themselves. Yeah. Well, that's how you win, right? Like you look at lot, like lots of the recent cup winners, like the Tampa, Tampa Bay Lightning were in the conference final the same year the Canucks made the Stanley Cup final there in 2011, mm-hmm. right? And nine years later, they're winning the Stanley Cup. With St. Louis, is the same thing. It wasn't just one year. Um, you know, they had been a contender for many, many years before that. Same thing with Washington. Um, same thing with those Pittsburgh teams, right? If you're building an organization intelligently, you're not just thinking, <laughs> as Jim says, day to day. You're thinking, you know, three or four years ahead, how do you set yourself up for a bigger window? And and that's what I think is most frustrating with this team, right? Like, in theory, this year should have been um, – you know, one of those years where you can make a deep run, maybe if not a contender, you're at least a competitive playoff team, right? Because you have Pedersen for cheap, right? Last year of the LC, same thing with Hughes, um, same thing with Demko. And, and yet they're not even close. They're not, they haven't really been in the playoff conversation all year. So it just blows my mind that people, you know, some people think this is <laughs> an organization being run with any sort of long-term vision or, or purpose, right? Because it's just so clearly not that. Right. So, and now they, and they've hampered their, uh, their long-term growth with all these, you know, random deals. Like I think Louie comes off the books next year, but he got Myers locked up for six years after that. Um, you know, all these guys taking up all this space when this should have been a contending year. And now you're going to have to lock up Hughes and Pedersen for, for next season. And, you know, who knows what they're going to come in at, who knows how much space you're going to have to build a real core around them. Um, it's just, it's sloppy, you know, lazy thinking, frankly. Yeah, and I want to and I want to speak on that because in my view, there's two windows for a team, right? You have you have the window when your players are on their ELCs and they're cheap, and you can build you know a yeah. team around them like that. And then in my there's a window when these guys are in what you know their prime as athletes, which is you know 24, 25, and yeah. I think you know the Leafs are in the same boat as as in that in this aspect where they couldn't win when their best players were on their ELCs, and now they got to be a bit more creative. And I think the Canucks are, are obviously heading down the same road. You know, they're going to have to sign Pedersen and Hughes after this season. And you miss the window to be competitive while they're on the ELC. They're playing Oilers tonight. Oilers are in the same way. They couldn't win with, you know, maybe the best asset ever in hockey, Connor McDavid on a three-year ELC, making less than a million. You can't get, you can't get a better asset than that. They weren't able to win. And now, you know, they took a three year, few years. And now, you know, they look like a decent team. I don't know if they can win a Stanley Cup, like Tambier says. But you know what? Uh, they look like a pretty decent team, but that, that, that's where the Canucks are at now. And they have to find a way to win when Patterson and Hughes are in their athletic prime, 24, yeah. 25, that area. Yeah. It takes creative thinking. And yeah. I've always said this when people bring it up, creative thinking is not this management strong suit, unfortunately. Holy and that's what this team, and that's what this team needs is creative thinking. Yeah. I mean, look no further than the the Pearson extension, right? Like that was a prime opportunity. Like you just like let him go. Pearson's not that great. He's a he's a 
perfectly. He's a third liner on a on a Stanley Cup winner, right? Yes, yeah. But instead, Jim throws him, you know, another you know three something mil, million dollars for the next three years, right? That's a perfect example of like of just not creative thinking. It's the most blatant, obvious, you know, ham-fisted move he could possibly do. And he followed through with it because he's just not a creative thinker. Like, fair enough. He put the building blocks in place. He got, you know, he got Hughes, he got Patterson, he got all these guys. Um, but he's just shown no evidence that he's able to actually take those pieces and do the more nuanced building around them that takes it to build a real contender. Like, look at the Lightning last year. I think it's a perfect example, right? Like, getting guys like Blake Coleman or Barkley Goudreau, like, overpaying for them in a trade for sure. Um, but those were creative moves because they were navigating the salary cap in such a way that those moves and the overpayments made sense, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I have no, you know, I have no faith in Jim to do that. People say stuff like, oh, will he uh, do some stuff with the expansion draft this year, you know, take advantage of some of those assets. Cause I mean, the Canucks aren't really set to lose anyone of any meaning in the expansion draft. Of course, of course he's not going to do that. You know, he's shown no evidence of, I mean, maybe hopefully I'll be proven wrong, but he's shown no evidence of being able to, you know, pull off slick moves like that. So, yeah. And you know what? Like, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Yeah. But if you're, if you're the GM of the Vancouver Canucks, what are you doing? What creative moves are you doing? What moves are you doing in general? Say you've locked up Pedersen and Hughes to, let's say, I think they're both coming in at three-year deals. I think both he, both you know the player and the team are happy with that. So let's say you got him on three year deals, okay? Three years, eight million dollars per each. What are you doing around them to, to help build like the depth around it on the yeah. on the like offensive side and the defensive side? Yeah, it's a tough one because they are to an extent he's handcuffed himself, right? So he only has so much um, mobility with what he can do. I, I I would probably consider a Jake Biot um, at this point um, from the stuff I think because Harmony did a, a good piece on. Um, how you could bio Jake and get rid of most of his cap hit for, for the next couple of years. Um, I would probably, I haven't done the cap work on this, but I would probably look into a buyout for, for Beagle or Roussel. Um, I'm not sure it w- what it would take again, that you don't want to give, you can get so bitten by these expansion drafts where you look at Vegas. I would yeah. try and find a way to get Tyler, My- get them to take Tyler Myers. I, <laughs> that would cost a lot. Um, but if that could somehow happen, that would be such a, such a huge advantage. I mean, that's $6 million of cap space for a guy who I think is probably a, f- a four or five defenseman. Um, and it's obviously not worth that kind of money. Um, and then what I would do ideally, if they could somehow get some of those, those big contracts out of the bottom six, I'll probably just let guys like Cole Lind, um, I don't know about Gadjevich, but probably, yeah, guys like Lind um, play in those depth roles, guy like Rathbone on defense, maybe um, what those young guys um, try their best because it can't be any worse than the, the Sutters of the world, right? Um, so that's one thing. And then another idea that I've been kind of interested in, this is a bit more, this isn't as, this isn't as much the, the nuance building, but I would look into trading guys like JT Miller or Nate Schmidt who are right. a bit bold, older. Bold. Yeah. Um, who are a bit older than the core, right? So if you're thinking that maybe in two years, will be a cup contender, Hughes, Pedersen, Besser, Horvat, whoever all in their prime. Miller will be in his late twenties by that. He might even be third. I don't know how old JT, but I think he'll be in his late twenties though. And Nate Schmidt kind of same idea. Um, so how good will they be in two years? Um, really? Right. So I don't know. You might want to consider trading those two while their values high and, and turning those into assets that are, are younger and more positionally needed. Like I would consider trading Miller for a young, 
a youngish top four defenseman. Cause I think that's a huge gap. I don't know who the target would be there. Um, some people said Seth Jones. Um, I don't know if JT Miller gets, gets you Seth Jones, but something along those lines. And then Nate Schmidt, um, I don't know if you want to flip him again for a younger defenseman or for another winger, but that's the sort of thing that I think would be very forward thinking. And then would be demonstrating some foresight. Um, it would be, it would be gutsy. I don't, <laughs> I wouldn't be the one be, I wouldn't want to be the one making that decision. Um, but I think it's worth looking into because I think if you're looking into when this team will actually be competitive, I'm not entirely sure that Miller and Schmidt will be a part of that core. I don't know if you agree with that though. You know, there, there's, there's two sides to look at it, In my opinion, look, you're, I assume you're basing this off the fact that Jim Benning said in two years, we're going to be a competitive team, right? Like that's yeah. kind of where we're at. Who's to say Jim Benning actually believes that? Like who's to say Jim yeah. Benning just didn't come up with a number right on the spot to, That's you know, awesome. get people off his ass. Yeah. That's always my thing. It's like, does he, does Jim Benning actually believe that in yeah. two years, this team could be competitive or is he just saying that number to, to throw it out there? Right. Awesome. So that's yeah. my thing with that. But you do bring up a good point. Look, I've long said one of the glaring weaknesses for this team in the future that maybe that goes under the radar a bit because people like to focus on the bottom six is a need for a right shot top four defenseman yeah. because that is a glaring need for this team. It's huge. Maybe, like a long-term partner for Quinn Hughes. Like ideally like someone like that, that is a big need uh, for this franchise. Right. And if you want to get creative during the expansion draft process, try to get one that way, draft them. I, I, I don't know, but yeah. you're going to have to find one somehow for this team to, to be a, a serious contender yeah. at some point. It's crazy to me how few young defensemen have come through this organization. Um, I mean, going even back before Benning, really even going back to the Gillis years, but I mean, look, I mean, they brought in Hughes, um, you know, might turn out to be the best defenseman in the history of this franchise, but who else do you have? I mean, Jack Rathbone looks promising, but that's a left shot guy, right? Um, you'll levy. I don't know. I don't know what you'll levy is going to be. I don't have, I don't think he's a top four guy. I'll put it that way. Well, let's put it this also put it this way. Okay. Take out the fact that he was, you know, drafted fifth overall yeah if he instead of a fifth overall pick was if he was a fifth round pick would yeah people have this long of a leash with Oli levy Absolutely. or would people say or would people say at this point you know okay he is what he is he's kind of you know just a depth nhl defense with third pair guy i think he's closer to a chat fielder at breezeboy than he is to a top four guy yeah that's where i would put him as well like he's just kind of he's a depth defenseman he's yeah. again it's what bill belichick would call a jag yeah just another guy and it's unfortunate you draft that guy fifth overall but we'll never know what you'll levy could have been without all those injuries. Those really, in my opinion, it is really unfortunate, injured yeah. his development. You know what? I never actually hate this. Is a bit off top. I never really hated the Yulevi pick at the time. Cause I really did. They needed defensemen, right? They did. And I Yulevi wanted Kachuk, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad pick at the time. No, I don't think so. I don't think it was on the same level as the, as the Jake pick, for example. Um, obviously it hasn't panned out. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, but even Yulevi's a left shot guy, right? But they have no one on the right. I mean, Jet Wu, how good is Jet Wu going to be? All the prospects guys that, um, I listen to don't don't seem to think too highly of him, right? So they have no one coming up on the right side. So I don't know what the solution is. I've always thought Dougie Hamilton would be the perfect partner for Quinn Hughes because he can move the puck. He's a bit of a he's a bit of a bigger guy. He can take those heavy minutes. Um, I think he's a free agent this year. I might be wrong on that, um, but they obviously don't have the cap space for a guy like that. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. And really, they they really need more like two top four guys because. I mean, you have Hughes, you have Schmidt. I don't think Myers is a top four guy. 
Edler obviously is not a top four guy at this point in his career. I don't even know if Edler's going to come back next year. Um, and then Rathbone, Rathbone's not going to step into top four right away, right? So it's a problem. It's a problem, and I don't. It's a hard one to solve because those guys aren't uh, those guys aren't cheap, and they're not they're not everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's move on. I don't want to talk about the Takeda Trampkin. It's been overplayed to death. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Like I don't. Oh. I don't want to talk about Takeda Trampkin. He's a yeah, he's a depth defenseman that you yeah. know it is intriguing because he's a big guy. Like yeah. let's move on. Let's talk about Travis Green. Okay, Good I'm call. a I'm a bet I'm a betting man. Okay, if I was to bet on if Travis Green was going to be here with the Vancouver Canucks starting next season or not, I'd be putting a good amount of money on him not being with the Vancouver yeah. Canucks. And I know there's been reports that uh, Travis Green's been offered uh, a contract extension or he's been offered some sort of contract. But to mm-hmm. me, this reminds me of the Judd Brackett situation or just a situation where I want to know, is this contract a legitimate contract offer? Is this a contract offer that is at market value for a guy like Travis Green? Or is this a contract offer just to say after he walks and you have no intention of resigning him. Hey, look, we offered him a contract. He didn't want to stay here. Yeah. That's my question. Is this a competitive offer or are you just throwing an offer out there to say you offered him something for optics? That's the big question. I think, I think maybe Dolly wall tweeted today that it really wasn't that great an offer and they're still pretty far apart. Um, Yeah. I'm not, I'm not too optimistic at this point, really. I mean, and I don't really even think this is a betting problem. I think this is purely a, a money issue um, on the Aquilini's part. Like, I don't, yeah. It's too bad because, uh, like you said, Bracket and, the you know, everyone's saying they're probably going to lose Clark as well. They're losing all this, you know, premier talent because um, because they don't want to open up the wall, right? So I'm with you. He's probably not going to come back. Um, it's too bad. I mean, maybe, maybe with all the COVID stuff and all the negative optics, maybe Francesco starts to think, oh, this is a, this would just be another thing to add to the pile. So maybe then maybe he'd go all out, but um, it's too bad. Cause I do think green's a good coach. I don't think like Travis green's not a perfect coach, um, but I think he's a good one for this group. And I think he's done a really good job um, with the, the core young guys in particular. Um, you know, you look at how well he did with, you know, putting Pedersen at center in his first year, for yes. example, yeah. um, all the opportunity he gave to, to Hughes and, you know, Besser back in, you know, back in the day. And uh, even someone like Hoglander this year, right? Like that took some guts to put him on the, in their top six right away, you know, smaller guy, no NHL experience. Um, so I think he's the right guy for this group. Um, and I would be less upset about him leaving if I thought they were going to go and get someone who was an adequate replacement. Like if I thought they were going to go out and get, I'll just throw a name out there, like a Gerard Glant type guy, right? Or Rob Brindamore, if he comes available, I'd be less upset about it, but I mean, I just don't think that's going to happen um, because those guys are going to cost more than Travis Green will. Um, frankly, what I'm expecting is that they'll just let Green and the coaching staff go and they'll just bring up the guys from Utica and call it a day, right? So, so yeah, that's the thing. I like Green. Um, if they were going to replace him with someone I thought was better, I, you know, I'd be fine with that, but I just, I don't think that's what's going to happen at the end of the day. I mean, and you know what, one thing I've liked about Travis Green over this, especially this most recent stretch, is he's willing to play the young guys. And that was one of the one things I was worried about earlier in the season, right? When it was yeah. when it was maybe, you know, the Canucks were starting this kind of downward descent and he didn't have a contract. I was worried, like, what incentive does Travis Green have to play some of these younger guys, right? You know, yeah. the Linds, the Gadjeviches, and, and such. But, you know... I guess credit to him. I know injuries have played a part in it, but credit to him. He's been willing to play, you know, 
the younger guys, so to say, to see what they have. And he doesn't have to do that. He's not, he's got 10 games left, you know, after this game right now against uh, the Oilers. He doesn't have to do that. He, he, he is very much within his right. And maybe so, it's probably something I would do to be honest, if I was in his situation, <laughs> just some, just do, totally. you know, play, play the vets to maximize, yeah. to maximize your, your negotiation, you know, leverage by the end of the season. And, you know, credit to him. And I think again, injuries have played a part, but credit to him. I play Colin, you know, 17 minutes is NHL debut, right? Like fair, fair play to him. I expect Jack Rathbone to get in, in one of yeah. these last 10 games, right? Like with all the back-to-backs and this compressed schedule, I think he's going to get in at, at yeah. some point, but Hey, credit, credit where it's due. Yeah. Travis green is still looks like he's still willing to play the younger guys to see what this organization has going forward, even though he may not be here for it. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it would have been so easy for him to just put Louie in the top six and just call it a day. Right. But yeah, yeah I mean, just check out, that- just check out, be like, yeah, yeah. I got two weeks left. Fuck it. Right. Yeah. Try and go, try and go 500 just to get your, uh, your win percentage up a little bit. Right. But yeah, you're totally right. Um, I'll be interested to see what those last few games against Calgary look like. Um, Cause those will, I mean, really this will probably be totally meaningless. Right. Um, they're going to make, you know, the Stanley cup finals. <laughs> they're going to make exhibition games. Sorry. Look like the Stanley cup finals. That's yeah, exactly. That's what they're yeah. Gonna, everyone's going to be playing at 20% because at that point, like what does either team have to play for? Yeah, exactly. So th- that, that's what I want to see Jack Rathbone getting 20 minutes a night. That's what I want to see, you know, Cole Lind on the top power play unit. That's uh, I'll be, I'll be interested to see what he does um, in those games. Cause uh, I think that's actually, it's, you know, as pointless as they'll be, it's going to be a kind of an interesting opportunity to kind of see some of these guys, Gadjevich, you know? Yeah. And you know what? Petro get some time? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I, I was asked about this on 650 about Colin. Like, what do I think of his game? Like, he, he looked fine, right? And, and I'm not sure yeah. to hear what your opinion is, but he looked fine. He was, you know, good yeah. on the four check. He showed some speed. 17 minutes, two shots on goal. Like, he's going to get his opportunities down yeah. the stretch. And for a guy like Lind, like, that's pretty much all you can ask for, right? Didn't look out of place. That's for sure. Yeah. And you know what? I also, it, it's just, it would it would have been nice one of these seasons to talk about, you know, getting down the stretch. Oh, what are the playoff matchups going to look like? Oh, you know, we are, we're excited for a playoff run, but now we're going to talk about moral victories like Colin getting 17 minutes a night, right? This is no. not what I signed up for when I started this podcast. This is not <laughs> what I signed. This was not part of the negotiations with Nexus Conduct. I'll say that. It feels like the Willie years all over again, doesn't it? Like, yeah. just oh, uh, you know. Joseph Lebate looked pretty good, right? Like it's yeah, it, it's, it's the, the guys the term, that we're not even going to remember in in five years. So the the term the term death march has been used a lot in yeah. this market, but that's pretty much what we're that's, in right now. Is just exactly in, the, in the middle middle of a death march. Yeah, um, I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the goaltending situation heading mm-hmm. into next season because I know Kyle Bound was uh, banging the drum for Holby to be taken by a. Uh, by Seattle in the expansion yeah. draft. If he plays well down the stretch, I still think his a uh, 5.3 or $5.4 million in actual salary is a, yeah. a bit rich for a team like Seattle. I think we'll be better yeah. goaltending options out there, but how do you see this goaltending situation shaking out uh, next season? That's an interesting one because I, I kind of go back and forth on it, right? Because I just don't know if DPS, I think it all comes down to this. I don't know if, what DiPietro is going to look like next year, right? Because he's he's just now starting to play games, right? He's just now gone down to you to actually mm-hmm. get some action. Um, so who knows if he's actually going to be like, will he be an NHL caliber backup next year? 
Um, I don't know. And Braden Holtby looks pretty good these days. Um, at the end of the day, though, I do think that like he's, his cap hits well, like 4.3, some of that. That's a lot of money. So if you can get Seattle to take that off your books, like I think you take that and run it. If you need to, you just find some bargain bin NHL backup wherever in free agency, right? Because there's all sorts of guys available um, who can fill that spot. Um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating because I think I think you just need to ride Demko next year. Um, I think he's earned that. Um, I don't think you really need to do a platoon next year. Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, at the end of the day, I think it comes down to is DiPietro um, ready? Um, I still don't know if Seattle will take Holpe. I tend to think no, though I don't really know who else they would take at this point. Um, probably just anyone to avoid the cap hit, but that's kind of where well, maybe I they take a guy like Cole Lind if he's left unprotected, Possibly. right? Yeah, if the Canucks don't protect him, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's possible. But I, I can, but honestly, the Vancouver Canucks and all has its purposes are in a pretty good situation from salary right. from the expansion draft situation. They don't have anyone that I would lose sleep over. It would be hilarious if they took a guy like Cole in, though. I'll be honest, just for the self loathing Canucks fan in me, for them to take Cole in and maybe, you know, a guy like Travis Green yeah, exactly. is, is our head coach. It would be, <laughs> that'd be quite the start to the, uh, to the rivalry. Uh, Marcus, thank you so much for, uh, yeah. for joining the podcast. I really appreciate it. What Thanks do you so have much, on yeah. deck? What do you have on deck for the website? I want to know. What do, what, what yeah, do you have on deck? So, yeah, so this is kind of what I've been I've been going back and forth on this idea. I want I'm kind of talked about it here today. I'm writing a piece on um, Jim Benning's lack of nuance, for lack of a better term, and his kind of ham-fisted nature um, in decision making, um, and how that's kind of handcuffed this team for the future, and uh, kind of what we need to be on the lookout for moving forward in terms of the expansion draft and free agency. So be on the lookout for that. Okay. I, I, the title, I can already see it already. Jim Benning sucks. That could be the title, yeah, that's, right? Just, we're just workshopping right, it, but that's, that's up there. Yeah. Just, just straight to the point title. Uh, Marcus, right. again, thank you so much for uh, hopping on the podcast and uh, hopefully you can have, on again, have you on again sometime. I think this, is, this has been a lot of fun. Anytime. Thanks so much, Nick. All right. Thank you to Marcus for hopping on the show. Much appreciated. Great conversation. Okay, we're going to end the show with just a simple question, and this will be on our Twitter page. Feel free to vote on it. By the time you hear us, it will be up at some point today. I just want to know, how many more games of this season are you going to watch? How many more games will you put yourself through for this Vancouver Canucks season? I'll say my answer right now. Look, I do a podcast, a guest appearance, another podcast. I occasionally do the odd radio hit. Shout out to, uh, to Jamie Dodd of Sports at 650 for having me back on again Saturday prior to the Leafs game. Much appreciated. So I'm going to be watching every single game. I feel if, if I'm going to do this, this stuff, if I'm going to podcast about this team, if I'm going to appear on other places talking about this team, I got to at least know somewhat what I'm talking about. I would feel like an absolute imposter if I went on this stuff and just started spewing stuff without watching the game. But if I didn't have this podcast, if I wasn't in this space, I would probably be checking out. I'd probably be watching the games if I had nothing else going on. You have someone like Kyle Bowen, who has said many times on his show, sipping on a 40. He's not going to watch the games. He can't stand the boredom, and that's fair. 
I'm not trying to rag the guy. Far from it. You do you. Again, if I didn't have this podcast, if I didn't have, I feel myself, some sort of mo- obligation. I was going to say motivation, but there's no motivation to watch these games. It's an obligation at this point. An obligation. If I didn't have an obligation to watch these games, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be watching. I wouldn't be going out of my way to watch these games. Straight up. I wouldn't. And I don't blame anyone out there who kind of checks out for these last 11, 10 games of the season. Because we talked about it earlier on the show. This team is running out of gas. They are running on fumes. It is going to be a slog the rest of the way. So it's going to be a simple question. It'll be on our Twitter page. Feel free to vote. We'll talk about it next episode. I just want to know your thoughts. How many more games are you going to watch this Canucks season? And I'm talking about sitting down, watching the game as it happens. Not the highlights on YouTube afterwards. How many more games are you going to watch? How many more games, if you're a fan of this team, will you be able to put yourself through? Again, if I didn't have this podcast, if I didn't feel some sort of obligation to watch these games, I don't know how many I'd be watching because the situation surrounding this team seems that bleak at the moment. Anyways, that is today's episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts. Again, make sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Much appreciated. Every rating, every five-star review helps us create more audio programming for everyone out there for you to enjoy. Once again, this is Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts. Thank you for listening.